0: Well, our Bible reading uh, comes from Hebrews this evening, so please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 10 to 18, Hebrews chapter 2, let's read from verse 10. This is talking about how Jesus had to become a human like us, in order to save us. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what He suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then just jump over to chapter 4 with me, and let's read verses 14 to 16 as well. Chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Well, I was at Lonnie Airport, and I was waiting for my flight. And if you've been at Lonnie Airport, you'll know that there is so much to do and simply not enough time. Well, maybe not quite, but there is one shop. There is one glorious shop, the Launceston Store. And so I found myself perusing the shelves and checking out the latest books, and as usual, I'm I'm drawn to the self-help books. And there they were, as always. So you want to live younger, longer... Why has nobody told me this before? The 48 Laws of Power, 12 Rules for Life, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Have you noticed that these books are always there, topping the bestseller lists? Every year it's a different cover and it's a different title, but it's a very familiar theme and formula, isn't it? Why is that? What what does that tell us about... Humanity, do you think? Well, it seems to prove that within each of us, there's this deep sense that there's a better way to live. A sense that we could be better people. We could be better humans. We could live more wisely, more effectively, more impactfully, more lovingly. And yet right alongside that, it seems to show us that most of us are a little bit stumped for how to actually achieve that better life. In fact, when when I see those shelves full of best-selling self-help books, I actually see a world of lonely people. A world of people just like me, longing for someone to come alongside them and help. Someone who understands how hard it is, someone who can listen, someone who cares, but more than that, someone who can fix it. Someone who's been where I am and can speak into that situation and lead me out of it. Lead us to be the people we want to be, the people that we we kind of know we should be and could be, and yet, for some reason, can't ever quite seem to be. Well, what if I told you that I know a guy who can help? Uh, Someone different to all the rest. Not just another author spinning book deals, but a real man a man who knows exactly what we're going through and can lead us to greener pastures. Would you like to meet the most excellent, inspirational, perfect human being to ever set foot on our planet? Well then, let me introduce you to Jesus. That's who we're going to be talking about this afternoon. And in particular, we're going to be thinking about the humanity of Jesus. Was he really human? And how might that be good news for us? And we're going to see three things today. If you're a note taker, here they are, get them. We're going to see that Jesus is more than a human, that Jesus is truly, sorry, more than a man, that Jesus is truly a man, and that Jesus is our man. More than a man, truly a man, our man. First, Jesus is more than a man. Now, we're talking today about Jesus being a real human being, but this flows on from what we looked at last week, if you are here We looked at the divinity of Jesus. We looked at the overwhelming evidence that Jesus was fully, truly God. So if Jesus is truly God, then it's fair enough to scratch our heads and wonder how he can also be human. But that's exactly what the Bible tells us again and again. Just one verse, Galatians 4 verse 4, says that God sent his son born of a woman. So how does this work? Well, that's exactly what the early followers of Jesus had to try and work out. And if you look at the first 400 years of the church, you see this heated debate raging over exactly how these two natures of Jesus fit together, his divine nature and his human nature. That was the big question. It wasn't, well, did he have these two natures? Everyone agreed on that. But how do they fit together? And that's what the Council of Chalcedon in 451 A.D. tried to solve. I hope you like a little bit of history. Uh, I'm actually going to read a little bit from their famous conclusion now because it's still the best, clearest explanation ever written on this issue. So, here's what they said. So, following the Holy Fathers, we all, with one voice, teach the confession of one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. The same, perfect in divinity and perfect in humanity. The same, truly God and truly man, of a rational soul and a body, of one essence with the Father as regards His divinity, and the same of one essence with us as regards His humanity, like us in all respects except for sin. Begotten before the ages from the Father, as regards his divinity, and in the last days for us and for our salvation, the same born of Mary, the virgin God-bearer, as regards his humanity. He is one and the same, Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, acknowledged in two natures, which undergo no confusion, no change, no division, no separation, at no point was the difference between the natures taken away through the union, but rather the property of both natures is preserved and comes together into a single person and a single subsistent being. He is not parted or divided into two persons, but is one and the same, only begotten Son, God, Word, Lord Jesus Christ." Now, I know that's pretty heavy for 5.30 on Sunday afternoon, but let's just notice a few key points. First, God the Son existed from eternity, infinite and fully divine. Second, at a certain point in time, the Son added to His divine nature a human nature without ceasing to be divine. He didn't just add a body, he added a complete human nature body, mind, soul, everything it means to be human. And third, it says there is no confusion, no change, no division, no separation between these two natures. So Jesus doesn't lose his divinity when he becomes a man, and neither does his divinity override his humanity. He is fully God and fully man. And yet we're still asking the question, how does this work, aren't we? And in many ways, we don't know. There is mystery here because we are dealing with God himself. And our human understanding is limited because by definition, God isn't like us. But that doesn't mean that our understanding can't be true and can't be accurate. Uh, Just because you can't describe the colour green to someone who has been blind for their whole life, it doesn't mean that you can't see green and it doesn't mean you can't make true statements about it. For example, uh, green is not yellow and it's not blue. Uh, This plant is green. This ball is not green. Now, we don't fully understand how Jesus can be fully God and fully human, but the Bible makes it really clear that that's true. And so we can have this uh, mysterious certainty about it. Okay, so where does that leave us? We, We jumped in the deep end just then. We've seen that Jesus is more than a man. He's the God-man, and last week we saw amazing proofs for his divinity. But what about his humanity? That's where we want to go this afternoon. What evidence is there that Jesus was truly a man? Well, let's, let's see what the Bible says. The first compelling proof that Jesus was human is that he was born. Luke 2 describes how Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Galatians 4.4 tells us Jesus was born of a woman. So there were nine months of, of discomfort, of kicking, of morning sickness. There were contractions and labor. There was a tiny newborn baby, squished, crying, sleeping, feeding. But There was one remarkable thing about this birth... The mother was a virgin. The angel's prophecy had come true. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is really key, isn't it? Jesus is fully human because He was born of Mary. But instead of a dad, He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit which enabled him to be born without a sinful nature. That's key. Second, we know Jesus was human because he developed. He grew. There's an amazing verse in Luke 2, 52, and it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's worth meditating on. The eternal, infinite Son of God became a baby... And he had to grow and develop day by day from baby to toddler to boy to teenager to man. He had to learn how to walk, how to speak, how to think. He had to learn what it meant to live a righteous life. Did you you know that about Jesus? He had to learn from the Old Testament who he was and what God was calling him to do. He wasn't born with all of that downloaded in his brain. Jesus had to learn how to obey, and he learnt that through suffering. Hebrews 5 verse 8 says, Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. Once made perfect. We should be careful That we don't think of Jesus being born fully developed. He was born sinless but it was through life experience and through suffering that he learned how to honour God every day, in every circumstance, in every age. Third, Jesus relied completely on the Holy Spirit. Why would that have been necessary if He was only God? It's because He's fully human like us that He had to completely depend on the Holy Spirit in every circumstance. It's, it's amazing to trace the Gospels and look for that, that Holy Spirit who we overlook so often. But without the Holy Spirit, Jesus wouldn't have been born. And then in Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descends on Him like a dove, and fills him with a special filling to equip him for his ministry. And then in the temptation, we read in Luke 4 that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And then after that we read, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And he begins his preaching ministry and Jesus gets up and says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he is a anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Do you, do you see the point? You can trace it through. Every step of the way, for every sermon, for every insight he had into God's word, for every miracle, for the strength to endure every suffering, for his rising from the dead, all of it was only possible because he relied completely on the Holy Spirit. Uh, here's what theologian Mark Jones says. The importance of this cannot be overstated. Christ's obedience in our place needed to be real obedience from a man. This next bit, I think, is is really helpful. Jesus did not cheat by relying on his own divine nature while he acted as the second Adam. Rather, by receiving and depending upon the Holy Spirit, Christ was fully dependent upon his Father. Jesus did not exploit his deity in life or ministry. And that only serves to heighten our appreciation for what he did as the last Adam in dependence on the Spirit. Okay, fourth, we see the humanity of Jesus in the fact that he was tempted. He he suffered a direct and brutal assault from Satan... In the middle of a scorching desert after 40 days without food, and he, and he also lived in the same world that you and I do, a world full of temptations and, and vices and seductive pleasures. And we read in Hebrews 4:15, "We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. yet he did not sin." And a question is often raised at this point. Well, could Jesus have sinned? Was it even possible for him to sin? And theologians agree that the answer to that question has to be no. The idea that Jesus could have sinned is actually inconceivable. And one person said, wicked. Because, as someone once said, should Jesus Christ sin incarnate God would sin. Well, that's blasphemy, isn't it? If Jesus is fully God, then we have to say that sinning was impossible. Which leads us to ask, well, then was he really tempted or is this whole temptation thing just a sham? And there's a mysterious tension here. All we can really say for sure is Scripture tells us two things very clearly. He was God by nature, so he couldn't sin, and he was subjected to real temptation in every way, just as we are. Okay, so we see the humanity of Jesus in his birth, in his his development, in his reliance on the Holy Spirit, in his temptation, now fifth, in the fact that He lived by faith. I I think I, I seriously learned quite a lot about that this week. That like us, Jesus lived by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 12 calls him the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus trailblazed our path. Suffering first, trusting in God, glory later. He was tested by endless sufferings and setbacks. And through it all, he trusted that God's will was best. I mean, how much faith did it take to give up your life, trusting that your Father would raise you again? And so with utter agony and with blood sweat, we hear him pray, not as I will, but as you will. That leads us to our sixth observation. We we see Jesus' humanity in that he prayed continually. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And in Luke 6.12, we're told he spent the whole night in prayer. These are the actions of a real man, completely depending on God for everything. Seventh, Jesus experienced human limitations. He sat by a well in Samaria, exhausted because he'd been walking in the midday sun. He slept, even in a storm, on a boat with waves swamping it. We're told he got hungry and thirsty, and we see him experiencing the full spectrum of human emotions, He sighed and he groaned at the hardness of people's hearts. Their stubbornness made him angry. And when his friend Lazarus died, he stood outside the tomb and he wept. These are the marks of a man who was fully human. He wasn't sinful. We don't have any evidence of him having diseases, But there is no doubt that he endured the weakness and the pain and the grief that comes to all of us living in this fallen world. Eighth, more than that, Jesus suffered. Isaiah 53 verse 3 tells us, he was despised. Despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. The sufferings Jesus experienced would have been almost unbearable for anyone. But for him, they were so much worse. Why? Louis Berkhoff gives four reasons. First, he writes, the fact that he who was the Lord of the universe had to occupy a menial position, even the position of a bondservant or slave, and that he who had an inherent right to command was duty-bound to obey. Second, the fact that he who was pure and holy had to live in a sinful, polluted atmosphere in daily association with sinners. Third, his perfect awareness and clear anticipation from the very beginning of his life of the extreme sufferings that would, as it were, overwhelm him in the end. He knew exactly what was coming and the outlook was far from cheerful. And fourth, finally, also the privations of life, the temptations of the devil, the hatred and rejection of the people, and the maltreatment and persecutions to which he was subjected. End quote. And that, of course, leads to our ninth proof of Jesus' humanity. He died. He died. And alongside the physical horrors of crucifixion, he also endured the unspeakable spiritual suffering that came from his Father God laying all our sin on him. The loving Father cursed the Son who he delighted in for us poured his wrath out on him. He crushed him. He pulverized him. He died. And then 10th, as further proof of his humanity, he was buried. Uh, It's confirmation he was dead, but it's also his sharing the humiliation of fallen humanity returning to dust. But 11th, Jesus was raised And he was raised fully human. The disciples felt his scars and poked his side. They ate breakfast with him. It was a bodily resurrection. And it was the first fruits guaranteeing our own bodily resurrection. And to this day, right now, Jesus is fully human. I don't know how often you think about that when you pray to Jesus in heaven. He reigns in heaven right now with his body. He will return one day as a human and we will see him face to face. Will I hug Jesus one day? hope so. So the Bible leaves us in no doubt, does it? His his birth, his development, his reliance on the Holy Spirit, his temptation, his faith, his prayer life his weakness and limitation, his suffering, his death, his resurrection. Jesus was truly a man. But now, before we finish, let's just briefly think about the significance of this for us. Because Jesus wasn't just a man. He was our man. Jesus was your man. He's the man who does what no self-help book ever could. He's the one who has been where we've been for our sake so that he can lead us out of our sinful mess and lead us to be the humans that we were created to be. And there are four ways in which Jesus is our man. Let's finish with these. First, Jesus is our representative. That's exactly why he had to be human. We read it in Hebrews 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, he too shared in their humanity. He was the second Adam, rewalking the path of the first Adam in all of us, but doing it in perfect righteousness, in perfect obedience, in perfect fulfillment of what it means to image God and to live for God and glorify God. We call this the active obedience of Christ. He lives the righteous life that we have failed to live. And then second, Jesus is our substitute. He's our representative. He's our substitute, the perfect substitute, which requires two things, like us in every way and without sin. Heidelberg Catechism, question 16 asks, Why must he be a true and righteous man? And the answer, there are two parts, He must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. When Jesus goes to the cross, the the tragedy of Eden is, is reversed. The first Adam He went to the tree in the middle of the garden and he brought death to all. And the second Adam went to another tree and by dying on it, he brought life and salvation to the human race. Jesus is our representative, he's our substitute. Third, Jesus is our example. He shows us what it means to be truly human. To love God, to love others. I was thinking this week, until Jesus set foot on earth, all of God's laws and God's wisdom, God's commands in the Bible were kind of like a recipe for a dish that had never actually been seen or made or eaten. Jesus comes along and we see the actual dish, not just the words on a page. The life of Jesus is the first time that we have ever seen a human being doing what humans are meant to do. And as Christians, our goal is to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. Now, I nearly left it there, and then I thought of one more. It's where I want to finish. Jesus is our friend, our representative, our substitute, our example, and our friend. Let me read those lovely words from Hebrews 4 again. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So what? Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. You know, there's that special connection when you see a parent talking to another parent or a mechanic talking to another mechanic or a war vet talking to another war vet. And you and I have a shared experience with Jesus that makes him the perfect friend. He gets it. He understands how hard it can be. He cares. And he loves to help us. His throne drips with mercy. He is 100% invested in helping us follow in his footsteps. He grew more and more in righteousness every, every day. Now he helps us do that. And to rely on the Holy Spirit in everything. And to resist temptation. And to live by faith in God's promises. To pray continually. To trust that even in suffering, the Father is good. He's working all things for good. Let's praise God for Jesus. The one who is more than a man, but not less than a man the one who is our man, the saviour and friend that we desperately need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're a human. Not just a human... You are the infinite, eternal Son of God and yet right now in heaven with scars in your hands you sit at your Father's right hand with a body, with a beating heart, with blood in your veins. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave up everything for us you didn't have to it wasn't easy it was horrible you suffered far more than any of us have and you didn't do it for yourself you did it for us you did it for your enemies you did it for sinners for no-hopers And you even died for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. We don't really have anything to offer you in return. But we thank you. We thank you that you rose. And that you rose to bring us hope and life. Hope for a world made new when all weakness and all suffering and all sin and all pain is gone and we are raised not just souls but bodies to live and run, to breathe and love, to make and do for all eternity in your presence. Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you for being our friend and our saviour. Amen.